We're continuing a sermon series on running on empty, so please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you. You certainly do not have to be a prophet to know that technology has made three things happen in this world. In your notes, number one, our world's smaller because of technology. Number two, our world is more complex because of technology. And number three, our world has speeded up. You're living in a much faster lifestyle than your parents, your grandparents ever did. And your children will live even faster lifestyle than you do. How many of you have ever gotten the speeding ticket? Raise your hand for a moment, just real quickly. Yeah. Thank you. I feel very comfortable about this message slowing down. The world is getting faster and faster. If you have traveled freeways and cities during commuter hours, you quickly discover that everybody, A, is in a hurry, and B, multitasking. Isn't it amazing what you see people doing while we drive on the freeways? A few examples, putting on makeup, shaving, eating, watching TV, drying their hair, smoking and talking on the cell phone at the same time. Who's driving? Changing shirts, reading the newspaper, reading email, painting fingernails. You get the idea. Multitasking. People are trying to save time. They're going faster and faster. And the Bible tells us that the hurried and the worried and the scurried lifestyle have dramatic effect, a negative effect on our lives. So I've noted three of them in your sermon notes. Three effects of a hurried lifestyle. In your notes, number one, the first effect is you feel more stress. Yeah, you feel more stress. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 3. Overwork makes for restless sleep. Now, there is nothing wrong with going fast unless you're fast all the time. You go fast and you go slow. Those are the ebbs and flows of life. You go fast and you go slow, the rhythms of life. You cannot just keep charging. In your notes, you're not the Energizer Bunny, where you're going and going and going and going. And even the Energizer Bunny eventually stops. So in a hurried lifestyle, you feel more stress. Number two in your notes, number second, the second effect, you lose your joy. The faster you go in life, the less time you have to enjoy life. You just cannot enjoy things at a fast pace. You have to enjoy them at a slower pace. Look at Job 9, verse 25. He writes, My days go by faster than a runner's. They fly away without my seeing any what? Joy. In a hurried lifestyle, you lose your joy. You become less productive. Saw a bumper sticker a while back, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. Have you noticed? In traveling around the world, when you fly in an airplane over a country at 350 miles an hour, you don't really enjoy that country at all. And when you travel by train, you go through the country at 75 miles an hour, you enjoy a little bit, but not much more, because you still miss a lot of details. You're just going too fast. When you get into a car and you travel through the countryside, 
you enjoy it a whole lot more because you see more of the details. But if you really want to enjoy a town or a small village, in your notes, try walking. Because it's in walking that you get the sights, the sounds, the smells, and you can slow down. You cannot enjoy something fast. You may think you are, but you are really not enjoying it because you're missing the details. So in a hurried lifestyle, number one, you feel more stress. Number two, you lose your joy. In your notes, number three, you cannot hear God. Yeah, you cannot hear God. Look at Psalm 46.10. Be still, the psalmist says, and know that I am God. If you're moving at a fast pace in your life all the time, you don't know God. And you know, you will never, if you're never still, you just will never know God. See, you get to know God when you slow down, when you are quiet, when you are still. When you are not still, all your circuits then are on busy. You've got God on call waiting. The circuits are all overloaded. So this morning I would like to share three ways to slow your life down to a more rational, reasonable human pace. But these three things are actually countercultural. They're the exact opposite of what our culture teaches. So if you do these three things, you will find your joy going up and your stress going down. Number one, if you are serious about slowing down your life, and this is the total opposite of our culture, in your notes, you must learn contentment. If you're serious about slowing down, you don't start with your schedule, you start with your heart. You learn contentment. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4.12. I have learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. See, Paul is actually saying he has learned to be content. In your notes, you are discontented by nature. By nature, you're not a contented person. In your notes, you must learn it. You must learn contentment. And if you're going to slow down in your life, you have to learn contentment, and it learned over time. By nature, really, you just want more and more money in your bank account. By nature, you want more and more achievements in your career. By nature, you have more and more activities on your schedule. Why is that? I think there are two myths in our culture about contentment. The first myth about our culture, number one in your notes, having more will make me more happy. And that certainly is not true. Having more will make me more happy. The greatest things in life are not things, just not our possessions. I know a lot of people who have lots of things, but they're still quite unhappy. Look at Proverbs 23, 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. The Bible says that it's wise to restrain yourself from going and going and going and going all the time just to make money. It's stupid to do that, to just wear yourself out to get rich. So in your notes, I have noticed that in the first half of life, people will sacrifice their health in order to get wealth. The body starts to break down. And about halfway, there's a major switch. In the second half of life, in your notes, people 
start to sacrifice their wealth in order to get back their health. The myth having more will make me more happy, keeps me from ever becoming contented. Now the second myth of our culture about contentment, in the back of your notes. Number two, doing more will make me more worthy. In other words, if I do more, then people will love me more. They will like me more. They will appreciate me more. I'll be more admired. I'll be more respected. Doing more will make me more worthy. But look at what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 6. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. See, a lot of our ambition is motivated by unhealthy emotions, by our fears, by our guilt, by our envy, by our egos, self-centeredness, by desire for more applause, for all those things that are unhealthy emotions. And the Bible actually calls them idols, false gods. They are idols. And you notice the American idols? We're not talking about hand-carved gods of wood either. Our American idols are the hood ornaments on our cars, are the brand names on our clothing, a logo on the dress or shirt we have, just to prove that to everyone else that you bought these items from a needless markup. You paid three times as much a needless markup so you could have that little logo. The starting point to learn contentment is not just to clear your schedule, slow down and do less, if you did that, all you'd be doing is hitting the surface. You must start at your heart. You must become content with who you are and with what you have. So that's a radical countercultural learning to be content in your heart. Next, we move to your mouth. Secondly, if you're serious about slowing down your life, the total opposite of our culture, number two in your notes, you must listen before speaking. The second strategy comes from God's word for slowing down. You must learn to listen before speaking. Look at James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. See, if you watch any television, it's obviously we have become a nation of interrupters. Have you noticed that? People don't let others complete their sentences. They talk over each other. You see it on talk shows, you're on radio programs, you watch it on TV news. Three or four people talk at the same time. Nobody's listening. Notice that the solution to anger is found in James 1.19. To control your anger, be quick to listen. Secondly, be slow to speak. If you do those first two, control is automatic. So the antidote to your anger is to learn to be quick to listen slow to speak. There are two ways that people deal with their anger. And some people will actually say they just don't have any anger problem. I think you do. You just hide it pretty well. Some people blow up when they get angry. Other people clam up. So in your notes, everybody's either number one, a skunk, or you stink the place up. Everybody knows you're upset. You stink the place up. Or number two, you are a turtle. If you're a turtle, then you are angry, you pull back into your shell. You clam up. To control your anger, the Bible says, be quick to listen, 
slow to speak. In fact, slowing down your speech will make you more credible. If you have two salesmen, who would you be more likely to put trust in? The slow speaker or the fast-talking, slick salesman? If a high-powered salesman comes to you, you think, what is he trying to pull over me? So look at what Solomon says, Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who speaks on haste? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Now, once you get, number one, your heart slowed down. And number two, you get your mouth slowed down. Now you're ready to use your mind to make some good decisions. Number three, if you're serious about slowing down your life, in your notes, you must pause and pray before deciding. Now we're slowing down your thinking, your, your thinking process. So now you will also include God. You must learn to pause and pray before deciding. Talking about the decisions that you make on a regular basis in your life. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 2. Zeal without knowledge is not good. A person who moves too quickly may go the wrong way. So when I say pause and pray, that does not mean that you wait a year or two before deciding. Talking about 10 seconds or 20 seconds. Just spend a, send up a microwave prayer. Pause and pray means to simply say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? J-W-D-Y, W-M-T-D. Jesus, what do you want me to do? When you focus your attention, even just for a minute on God, you pause and pray. You have a different perspective to make wise decisions. I remember a story about Roy Regals in the 1929 Rose Bowl game in Pasadena. Roy recovered a football. He ran 65 yards with it, but it was in the wrong direction. He would have scored for the other team, but he was tackled by a teammate. Then I remember Jim Marshall in 1964 when his Minnesota Vikings were playing, the 49ers. And Jim Marshall, he recovers the ball, and he runs 67 yards also in the wrong direction. And he scored for the opposing team. Zeal, enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. Pause and pray before deciding. What God is saying, deliberate before deciding. Muse before you choose. Reflect before you select. Consider your comments, commitments prayerfully before you decide. You will slow your life. In conclusion, wrap this up in your notes by saying, trust God's timing. Learn contentment, listen before speaking, pause and pray before deciding. But if you're serious about slowing down your life, you've got to learn to trust God's timing. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Read with, it, read with me together out loud. God does everything just right and on time. People will never completely understand what he is doing. See, God has a plan for your life. God also has a timetable for your life. But here's the rub. God never explains his timetable. One of the most painful things is when you're in a hurry. God is not. But that's part of growing up. The children have to learn the difference between no and not yet. And you know, it's a delay. A delay from God is not necessarily a denial. Because God knows the right time and the right way. 
God has a plan. God has a timetable. One day the disciples of Jesus came to him and asked, Lord, when are you coming back to earth? Disciples, in your notes, wanted to talk about prophecy. Jesus said, it's none of your business. Jesus said that, yeah. It's not for you to know the time or the seasons. It's not for you to know. Don't you worry about that. But the disciples, they wanted to talk about prophecy. Jesus, in your notes, talks evangelism. If the disciples, and if you and I, are really interested to know when Jesus is coming back, Jesus focuses on evangelism. Look at Matthew 24, verse 14. Please read it with me together out loud. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus is not coming back until every person has heard the good news. So if you want Jesus to come back, you can stop focusing on prophecy, start focusing on evangelism. It is coming, but it's on God's timetable. In your notes, slow down. Stop complaining. Learn to trust God. Three countercultural ways to show your, slow down your pace. Learn contentment. Listen before speaking. Pause and pray before deciding. Trust God's timetable. Amen.